morning to all of you. I'm Pastor Tim, the executive pastor. Pastor John's away with his wife this morning, and he'll be back um, next week. Before I get started, by the way, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6, if you want to turn there. But before I get started, I want to just note this bullet or this uh, flyer that's in your bulletin. It says, Taste the Difference sample in our group. We believe that our groups are very important. That's our adult small group ministry to help us grow in our relationship with Christ. So what we're trying to do through the summer is give you a little bit of a taste of what an R group is like. So each Sunday through the summer, we are meeting at the 1030 hour in the cafe uh, on the classroom side of the cafe. That would be the west side of the cafe to discuss the sermon that will be preached here in just a moment. We're going to do that each week and we would encourage you to be there. There's no commitment. You're not making a commitment by being there. It's just an opportunity for you to see how our, our groups work. Um, I will typically lead that, obviously, today. I won't. Um, Cecil Ellison will lead that for me today. He and his wife will be there, but we would encourage you to give that a shot. And there's cinnamon rolls and coffee for you if you come to that. Okay? Let me pray for us. Actually, let me pray for me. Father, you, uh, or I, an imperfect vessel, has been set aside to share the perfect word of God. And I would pray, Lord, that your word would go forth accurately today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, obviously this week is VBS week, and the theme, and you can see the theme through the decorations on the stage, uh, is Kingdom Rock, where kids stand strong for God. Uh, the theme throughout the weekend, or throughout the week, was teaching kids about the kingdom of God. Each day had a different aspect of that. On Monday, they learned how God's love helps them to stand strong. Tuesday, it was family and friends help them to stand strong in the kingdom. Prayer helps them stand strong. They talked about on Wednesday, trusting God on Thursday, and how important the Bible is to living in the kingdom of God. And man, it was, it was a great week, and it's good for kids. But I want to tell you, it's not just for good, good for kids. It's good for us as well. And because we have choices to make as to what kingdom we're going to be a part of. And the Bible teaches very clearly that there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of the world, which is really my own kingdom, what I choose to do. Or there is the kingdom of God. And we believe that God created us and therefore provides instruction how we are to live best in his kingdom. So this morning I think it's appropriate that I should happen to have the opportunity to continue a series of sermons I've been doing on what is called the greatest sermon ever preached. That's a reference to the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 because the Sermon on the Mount is all about the kingdom. It's all about the kingdom of God. Jesus, when he preached this sermon, really had two points. The first point and the main point is the sermon was preached to show us how far from God we are and how much we need God in our life. And so he died on the cross so that we could come into his kingdom. And the Sermon on the Mount is meant to drive us to the cross. Once someone enters the kingdom of God, the sermon then teaches us how we as citizens of the kingdom of God are to live. As I said today, we're going to pick up that sermon by reading uh, a portion of it in Matthew 7, 1 to 6. Before we read it, I want to say this to you. I think it's possible, I'm, I can't prove this, but I think it's possible that this could be one of the most quoted passages in the, in the scriptures, in the Bible. Most quoted by believers and unbelievers. 
And I also believe that it's possible that this could be one of the most misquoted scriptures in the Bible. So I've looked forward to getting to this text. I've really enjoyed studying it. Let's read it together. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Eric Metaxas is slowly becoming one of my favorite authors. He wrote the book Seven Men, which John has recommended, I think, a couple of weeks in a row, which you can purchase that over in the, in the cafe. If you'd like, it's a great book. I've read it really well done. He also wrote um, a biography on the great German pastor, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was martyred at the hands of, was killed by Hitler, actually. And I bring that up because I had the opportunity to watch Metaxas, Eric Metaxas, uh, you know, through video. I watched him responding to questions at a conference he was doing with John Piper. And he was asked a question. I'm not going to tell you what the question was or get us off on that. I just want to tell you how his initial response was to the question because I think it's applicable for us today. When he was asked the question, I thought it was almost comical the way he said it, because somebody in that audience asked this question, and this is how he started. He says, you know, sometimes as Christians, we are just sloppy thinkers. And I thought, wow, sloppy thinkers. And then he went on to show why he thought that question was, had sloppy thinking within it. And I think when it comes to this passage, I think we are sloppy thinkers. I mean, how many times have I heard it? And I bet you've heard it too. The Bible says, don't judge. Jesus says, don't judge. You know, it's wrong to judge according to the Bible. Or, I'm not going to judge people because the Bible says it's wrong. I'm just going to love them. If you are a Christian, you shouldn't judge me. Now, let's get away from the sloppy thinking for a minute. Aren't those all judgments? You understand? Those are all judgments already. So to say don't judge is a judgment. I hate judgmental people. I don't want to be a judgmental person. I've heard that many times. Okay, I understand that judgmental has a negative connotation in our, in our culture. But the word judgmental just means to judge, to make judgments. Now think about it for a moment. It's really sloppy thinking to say that Jesus said, don't judge. He did say that, but he said way more after that. And it's sloppy thinking because just think about it for a moment. What if you really took that thought and you said, I'm not going to judge, what would life look like? How would you ever decide who your friends were going to be? How would you decide who you're going to take advice from? You have to make judgments to do that. How would you decide who you're going to let care for your children when you're away on vacation? How would you parent your children? How would you pick the leaders in your church? How would you decide if something's true or not? You understand? It's sloppy to say that we're not to judge because we do judge. 
We make judgments all the time. Do I need to say politics? I see people's judgments on politicians all the time. It's a hot topic, and it's a hot topic for us because we live in a society of criticism. It's a part of our life. We pay millions of dollars every year. We do, all of us, to listen to the judgments of people. The other day, here was the topic. Why did William and Kate, why aren't they finding out what the sex of their baby is? And one guy says, well, I really think they know what the sex is. They're just not telling us. Another guy says, well, you know William. He will follow the traditions of the monarchy, but everyone knows he likes to do things his own way. Those are all judgments, and we pay to listen to those things. I'm watching the San Antonio Spurs play in the Miami Heat. Tim Duncan in one of those games scores 30 points in the first three quarters of the game. But he doesn't score one point in the fourth quarter and the game goes into overtime and the Spurs end up losing in overtime and Tim Duncan lost the game because he didn't score a point in the fourth quarter. That's what the commentators said. Probably never put a basketball through a hoop in a pro professional basketball game, but he makes that judgment. I find it interesting how quickly Christians will say don't judge, but I actually think we like really strong, opinionated, judgmental people. I really do. I think we love them. Dr. Phil. By the way, I don't think I look like him. I just want to make that clear. I'm much better looking. Oprah. Ellen. Oh, we don't listen to Ellen. Sure we do. But maybe some of you don't. Okay, how about Sean Hannity? I don't even know if Rush Limbaugh's around, but boy, Christians used to just love to hear his opinions. How about your pastors? I hear it all the time. I love it because you just call it like it is. And I think we do. I think we love opinionated people, and we especially love opinionated people when their opinions agree with us and it's aimed at somebody else. But you know where we get into trouble? We get into trouble when that opinionated person that you used to like says something to you about something you're doing wrong, and now we don't like it too much anymore. And see, that's where it all happens. Well, Jesus addresses all of this to us in this passage today, so let's talk about it just a minute. I've given you three points in your... In your uh... <laughs> that's a high-pitched sound there. The first point is this, how, how to judge. All right, I've already exposed the fact that I don't think Jesus is telling us that we aren't to judge. Listen to what he says. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Again, it's sloppy thinking to say that Jesus is saying we aren't to judge. Because if that was true, Jesus would be saying to be Christ-like, you've got to suspend all your critical faculties. And you can't do that, folks, even if you wanted to. Accurate thinking takes considers context and considers all of what Jesus is saying, and for us as Christians, it considers all of Scripture. Remember that Jesus would never contradict himself. Now, let me give you some reasons why Jesus can't be saying we aren't to judge at all. The some, here's just a few. If you go to the conclusion of this particular text, Jesus says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw pearls to pigs. And that, those are metaphors for people. 
in order to obey Jesus, you've got to decide who the dogs and pigs are to even, to even um, be obedient to what he's saying. The point being, he's telling you to make a judgment there. If you go a little further in the sermon in verses 15 and 16, Jesus says, we're not looking at this today, but he, he, again, he gives us another judgment. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. How do we know if they're false prophets? We have to make a judgment on that, and Jesus tells us how to make the judgment. He goes on to say, by their fruits you will recognize them. So we have to make a judgment on the fruits, too. 1 John 4, 1, just one other example. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God or not. And you could just go on and on and on. So if Jesus is saying in the first statement, don't judge, and I'm telling you that he says later, do make judgments, then what is he saying? Well, that's why he, he tells us what he's saying by clarifying the don't judge statement. He clarifies it for us. We just don't always read on. We stop at don't judge. But he says don't judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Listen, it's clear throughout scripture. What Jesus is telling us is, listen, when we make judgments, make sure we treat people like we'd want to be treated. In other words, give people the same benefit of the doubt that you would give yourself. Luke 6.31 says, do, do to others as you would have them do to you. Matthew 7.12 says, in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And see, we, this is where we get into trouble. We don't give people the same, the same kind of courtesy that we would give ourselves. Now, I almost hate to talk about driving habits because I think it's almost overused. You know, we, we always want to apply these things with driving habits, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to risk this because I think it makes the point. Let's just talk about what we call road rage a little bit. We cut someone off and they honk at us. I've done it. Haven't you? We cut them off, they honk at us, and we go, and then they give us the California howdy. <laughs> and then we go, what, what the heck? Why did you do that? Why did that person do that? And we start getting after them because they don't realize, you know, like, I'm really sorry. Why are you doing that to me? By the way, if you're still wondering what the California howdy is, ask somebody other than me. But then we, then we reverse the situation. We reverse the situation. And we're cut off, and in our head we go, idiot. You know, maybe we don't give them the California howdy. But then we go, oh, they're texting. Oh, of course, they're on their phone. Like, I've never been on my phone. See, we don't give them the same... We don't give them the same courtesy that we would want ourselves. That's what Jesus is getting at here. We give ourselves every benefit of the doubt, but we don't offer that to others. So Jesus isn't saying don't judge. What he's really saying is, is when you judge, don't do it in a hypercritical and don't judge harshly. John 6, 7, 24 says, stop judging by mere appearance and make a right judgment. 
Christians, we have a responsibility to exercise critical judgment. We just need to be careful how we do it. Let me give you some examples. Let me give you some contrasts to try to help you to think through this. A right judgment, people that are doing what Jesus is calling us to do, is, is always attempts to be constructive. They consider the feelings of the other person. They're careful with their words, and when they're going to talk to the person about something that they've made a judgment they're doing wrong, they're, they try to be very careful with it. A wrong judgment is destructive. I just tell it like it is, and if you can't handle it, it's your fault. A right judgment looks for the best and tries to consider what might be going on in the other person's life. A wrong judgment looks and expects faults and, and actually finds satisfaction in pointing those faults out. A right judgment knows the difference between methods and motives and is careful to make sure they are in line with Scripture. A wrong judgment comes when, it, when one thinks their way is right and interprets Scripture to their prejudice. In other words, they go, this is sin, you are in sin, and the Scripture doesn't even really address it. It's just, I don't like it. Let me give you some examples. I wouldn't choose to get a mohawk. I wouldn't. That's supposed to be a joke. You're supposed to laugh more than that. <laughs> but do you know there's nothing that says that that's wrong? There isn't. I wouldn't choose to bleach my hair if I had it. <laughs> but there's nothing wrong in Scripture from doing that. Oh, people will say, oh, it's vanity. Come on. We all got out of bed this morning and tried to figure out what looked good. The only reason I wore this shirt, and I'd looked through four or five different shirts, my wife says, I like that color on you, so I, I put it on. We're, we've, we've all got vanity issues. Come on. I had a fro, believe it or not, in high school. My wife's got pictures of it. You guys know me. I wouldn't choose to wear an earring. You're not going to see me wearing an earring, but I honestly really don't care if other guys do. In fact, I kind of think it looks good on some people. On me, it just looked like an old man trying to look young. I don't smoke. Never have. It's not a sin, by the way. You can't make that case in Scripture. I choose not to smoke because I grew up in a family of smokers, and I just, I just don't like it myself personally. But I really have come to... To, to have a, a little bit of compassion for folks who do struggle with that. I find that most smokers, by the way, already know that it's not good for them. Just like you can tell me all day long that Diet Pepsi is going you know, to make me not be able to remember things, but I'm still drinking it. You know, my point is we all do these things, and we got to be careful to lay sin off on, on these things. A right judgment doesn't focus on little things. It pays attention to what Scripture actually says. A wrong judgment takes little things and makes them of vital importance. You read the NIV version of the Bible? Well, the NASB is the most accurate translation of the Bible. Jesus read the King James Version. Why don't you read the King James Version? <laughs> I hate it when people use electronic devices in church because all they're doing is checking their email. They're not really reading the scriptures. Come on. I use an electronic version. I'll just be really honest with you. I use an electronic version because I can see it better. You know? These are, these are what the scriptures refer to as petty judgments. We worry about the wrong things. Romans 12, 
Romans 2.1 says, You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. I mean, think about it. Right judgments always evaluate themselves. Some of you are sitting in this room right now, and you're listening to this, and you're going, Oh, I feel a little guilty right now, and I need to get this squared away. Wrong judgments never look in the mirror. They always look at other people. And some of you are sitting in the room right now and going, yay, pastor, so-and-so really needs to hear this. <laughs> Jesus says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it, use, it will be measured to you. I want to tell you, in the time that I have to do this sermon, I can't really completely deal with that particular passage because there's a disagreement among what I think are good theologians. Does the same way you're going to be judged and the measure you use going to be measured to you, is that talking about the final judgment when we stand before the Lord? Because we will stand before the Lord one day and we will all stand before the Lord and he will make an accurate right judgment on us. I don't really think that's what's going on here. I think what it's really saying, which is what some other people think, that it's talking about how other people will treat you. In other words, if you treat people one way, they're going to treat you the same way in kind. Now, they may not do the, exactly the same things you do, but if we don't get this one right, people don't want to be around people that are, that are harsh and judgmental in a hypercritical way. So how do you judge? Very carefully. And Jesus goes on to tell us how to, how to judge carefully by paying attention who to judge. Who do we judge? Matthew 7, 3 to 4 says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Jesus is using an extreme example here. It's a, it's a lot of hyperbole. He's overstating something. And he's showing a contrast between two different people. It's a ludicrous, ridiculous and, and comical example. One man who is trying to correct another has a plank in his eye, which you're going to see all different, depending on which version of the Bible you're going to you're read, you'll see all kinds of different things. Some say plank, some say log, um, some say beam. The idea is that this guy who's trying to correct this other guy has got this big tree in his face. And he's trying to correct another guy who has a little speck of sawdust. And the guy that has the log in his eye would not be able to see. And the guy who has the speck in his eye, he, he might have a watery eye. He might have a little bit of an irritation. It might be a little bit red, but he would still be able to see clearly. And to think that the man with the log in his eye could care for the guy who has this little speck in his eye would just be ridiculous. And the, the, the log and the speck are both metaphors for sin. That's what they're metaphors for. And sin in our lives has the ability to cause us to not see things correctly. And I think we understand that. So the problem that Jesus is trying to get at is that when we have a log in our eye, we are, we are, that's the kind of person that's kind of this hypercritical person. And the real problem with that, if that's one of us, if that's us, we've got a real problem. Because typically the person that has that log in his eye, 
I think of a telephone pole for some reason. I don't know why. But they, they, don't even know, they don't even know that they're messed up. They don't even know that they can't see correctly. And typically when it gets, we all have this happening from time to time in little ways. But when a person is overly hypercritical, which Jesus is talking to, that person, that person doesn't even realize it. In fact, they spend so much time trying to correct the other people, they don't even see they're tipping over from this tree that's stuck in their face. D.A. Carson puts it this way, it's a real problem. Ironically, the worst fault finder cannot be convinced of his fault. If the speck he has discovered in another person's eye is shown to be an illusion, or if the large log in his eye is gently pointed out, he hunts and pecks until he finds another speck in his target's eye. The critic always looks for someone else to criticize. He cannot feel he is sound unless he is constantly denouncing and condemning. And I think we all struggle with this to some degree. We spend way too much time criticizing. We get caught up in it, I think. I am not sure, D.A. Carson goes on to say, I am not sure how he envisions his responsibility to love his neighbor as himself, nor what he thinks about the words of 1 Corinthians that say love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it's not proud, it's not rude, and so on and so forth. The point that Jesus is trying to make here is that we are to make judgments on other people. But before we do that, we need to be very careful to make sure we don't have a log in our own eye. So who do you judge? Yourself first. That's where your first judgment ought to be, to try to figure out, do you have a problem? Well, how would you ever spot if you have a log in your eye? I tried to think through that, and I can just give you a few ideas. These are just some things that, that I've thought of. Get someone you know will tell you the truth and ask them if you're a hypercritical person. And then listen to them when they talk to, when they tell you. Um, in evaluating yourself, I mean, ask yourself the honest question. Does it make me feel good when I point out the wrongs of other people? I mean, do I kind of get a kick out of it? You know, we know we're not supposed to gossip, but I think we get a kick out of it. I think we have to catch that and stop doing it. You might have a log in your eye if that's you. Do you spend more time talking about the mistakes of others rather than about your own struggles? Might have a log in your eye. Do people come to you for advice? Now I find this fascinating because as I think about this, I think hypercritical judgmental people actually think people come to them for advice. But really what they do is they go to the person and just give their opinion. And then the person listens because they, they're caught off guard and they don't know what to do. But I mean, really, do people really seek you out for advice? If they don't, you might have a log in your eye. Do you spend more time studying the word than actually doing what it says? There's a lot of, there's actually eight deceptions mentioned in scripture. This is one of them, James 1.22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. See, I find that people that have a problem with this, they don't find the fellowship of believers important to them. Oh, they might come to church on Sunday morning, but they pick and choose what they want to go to. They don't really find the corporate community of Christ as special, as someplace they need to be. Because they're kind, of, they're kind of in charge of their own life. These people don't typically, it's not always the case, but they don't typically find service of others a priority. Except for maybe going to church. Their service to the Lord is they go to church and they go to Bible studies. But they don't typically get involved in actually serving other people. 
These people's marriages are less than joyous. Their kids are often frustrated. Sometimes lines of authority are messed up in their life because if they've got a real bad problem, they are their own authority, you see? And you've got to be careful with that. I find that you can't, um, you can't often count on those folks. They're so busy telling you what you're doing wrong, you can't really count on them. They don't really, uh, they're, they're, they're often late and flaky with their commitments. And Jesus says to these folks, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I can tell you, when, you stop, when a person stops worrying about what everybody else is doing wrong and starts working on their own life, they start to be a little more compassionate of other people and actually are better to help other people. I am very close to this because I think I've made tons of mistakes in this. And I think we, could, we would all, if we were honest, would say that. And by the way, don't miss what's being said here. Although we are to judge ourselves, Jesus is not saying we're not supposed to deal with other folks. We are to try to help our brothers and sisters um, when they're in sin. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch out, or you also may be tempted. And by the way, it says, Brothers and sisters, that's a reference to Christian people, if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual, it's not saying spiritually mature, it's not saying you who read your Bible every day and you pray without ceasing and all of that, you're very spiritually mature, your life's right on track all the time. It's not saying that, it's saying you who know the Lord, because the word for spiritual there is regenerate. In other words, if you know the Lord, you have a responsibility to try to help your brothers. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 says, And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. The extreme is to say, I'm not going to judge anybody, I'm just going to love everybody, and Jesus is not telling us to do that. So when do you judge? When is the right time to judge? Well, I, it's interesting, this very last passage, I battled with it because it's almost like it's just kind of stuck in here. And I'll just tell you, I'm not sure if this belongs to the, to the, the passages before it or if it or if it's, belongs to the one to come. Or if it's just Jesus just making this nice little saying, because sometimes he'll just throw things in there. He's like us. Sometimes you have a conversation, and then you just throw something in. That might be what this is, but I think it does teach us something. He says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may t trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. It is true that we are not to judge in a hypercritical and condemning way. But it doesn't mean that we are to ignore the faults of others either and to pretend that, that everybody is all the same. Both extremes are to be avoided. And then Jesus puts this in here. And I think this statement that we just read is really to try to draw some balance to us. And there is much that could be said, but just let me tell you, Jesus is talking about a group of people, dogs and pigs, now, when you think of dogs and pigs, don't think of dogs like Fifi, you know, your little poodle that sits on your lap. That's not what he's, he's, he's talking about like wild dogs. I mean, he's talking about these dogs that roam the streets. They've, they may have mange, their hair's all matty and they're mean, you know, they're wild animals. And pigs are not like, you know, the cute little pig that we've made um, our pet. Pigs in that culture were unclean. 
These, these are negative metaphors about people. And he calls these people wild animals. And what he's saying is that there are some folks that no matter how you address them, no matter how nice you are to them, they are going to argue. And these folks often in their arguing will mock the Lord. And what Jesus is saying, listen, when it comes to those folks, you need to just pray for them and walk away. Don't continue to try to show them where they're wrong. Pray for them. See, no matter what you do, these folks are not going to listen to you. You've been around those folks. How long do you argue with those folks? And in fact, the Bible says among you, that's us, there should not be any arguing. If you can't have a nice conversation with someone about something, then there comes a time when you need to walk away and pray for them and maybe look for another example or another time to deal with them. It reminded me of Proverbs 9, 7, and 8, and it says this, Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes a, a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. So when do you judge? In other words, when do you make a judgment and try to help someone who's struggling when they're receptive? And if they're not receptive, leave it alone and just pray for them. It's a tough issue. But I want to tell you, as you work all the way through it, it is wrong for us to say not to judge because we are called to judge. We're just supposed to judge carefully, look at ourselves, and make judgments. Sometimes it's best to keep your mouth shut because it doesn't do any good to talk to someone if they don't listen. No good at all. And with all that said, let me share with you what... This is my biggest fear for the, for the church in America today. I just, I'm just so concerned that the unbelieving world, we are called to live our life for Christ. And I am so concerned that the unbelieving world just sees us as a bunch of hypercritical weirdos. You know, we don't, we're, we're not smart. We don't understand things. We just want to tell them what they're doing wrong. We want to tell them about Jesus. And they don't, they don't listen to us because we're just a bunch of weirdos. This is one of the reasons why when I meet unbelieving people, I don't like to tell them I'm a pastor. That's the last thing I try to tell them because I want them to see me as a person first because once they get that idea that you're a pastor, it, their language changes, everything changes, and pretty soon it's almost like, you know, people actually think pastors are like God. Like if they say a cuss word, we can condemn them to hell or something like that. That's not the way it works. It really doesn't do any good to speak to people if they're not going to listen to you. So I think we have to think about our countenance, how we act around other people. We have the truth of the word of God, but we've got to be very careful how we share that. It takes a lot of thought and time and relational building to do that. And I just want to tell you, Say I'm on my high horse, but I'm just going to tell you right now, I am very concerned about social media, and I don't think I'm the only one. I think social media is maybe the worst thing that has ever hit the Christian community because somehow we have come to the conclusion that we can throw our hypercritical statements onto the social media like just our friends are going to see it. And our friends don't just see it, everybody sees it. Where did we ever get the idea that we could make critical, harsh judgments about, about groups of people and throw it on the internet, and somehow that's good. That is not good. 
I have a Facebook page, by the way. You'll almost never see me post anything because I'm too afraid of what people will think. I don't have the opportunity to compare it. I don't want to make a statement and have it misunderstood. I don't want to make judgments about people. I might hold some of those judgments about people like politicians and sports athletes and things like that, but I don't want to put it out there where it can't be kind of cared for and talked through. I have a Facebook page because I like to look at your pictures. And I, and, and I don't even really post pictures. My family takes care of that for me. I think we need to be very careful. We need to, we need to be pleasing to people because that's the heart of our Lord. At VBS this week, I snuck in occasionally and watched some of the things going on on the platform. And one day, one of the leader made a comment or made a statement, said, today, talking to the kids, said, today, it went something like this. Go out and, and do some God sightings, something like that. She used the term God sightings. And what she was making a reference to was she, she was telling the kids to go out and look for people who they see Jesus working through that person. In other words, look for people who are living their life for Jesus. I thought, I want to be a God sighting. I want to be someone that, find, that people find joy in how I live my life. They see Jesus through me because then I can talk to them about Jesus. You understand? Don't you want to be a God sighting? Well, if we, are, if we are not careful with the judgments we make and the, and the way we communicate to people, we're not going to be a God sighting. In fact, we're going we're to give, give people an idea about Jesus that just isn't true. I very seldom read, especially publicly and even privately, I very seldom read what we call paraphrased versions of the Bible because they're not translations. But this week I picked up I looked, for some reason, I looked at this passage in the Message Bible. And I thought, I'm going to end this sermon by reading the Message Bible. Because I think the guy really, uh, a paraphrase, by the way, is when someone takes, a, a Bible, uh, takes the words of God and they kind of put them in their own words. They're not exact translations. They're just trying to get the thought of it all. And I'm going to let Matthew 7, 1 to 6 through the Message Bible be our closing prayer. I'm going to ask you in just a moment to bow your head, and I'm going to read this to you. And I want you to listen to it and make it your prayer. Or I would encourage you to do that. I can't make you make it your prayer. And then we're going to be done, and I'm going to, you're going to be dismissed. If you'd like to pray with somebody, there'll be some of us up here. But folks, let's go out and be God sightings. Let's pray together. Listen to the word of God. Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you, when your own face is distorted by contempt? Isn't this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part? Wipe that ugly sneer off your face and you might be fit to offer a washcloth to your neighbor. Don't be flip with the sacred. Banter and silliness gives no honor to God. Don't reduce holy mysteries to slogans in trying to be relevant. You're only being cute and inviting sacrilege. Amen.
you are dismissed.